Well, I trust you had a great Christmas celebration at home with your family, or maybe you went, uh, went somewhere and you've made it back this weekend, so I appreciate you coming back to, to worship with us. Um, I've discovered something this morning we need to set up, tell our setup crew, uh, but I'll put, a, I'll put a, a bug in your ear just to get you started on this. Um, we need to like stop putting out so many chairs in the back so people have to sit up front. Because you come right in and like, right to them. And then the people that come late, sometimes they're guests, they're new people, and they're like looking around, then they feel awkward because they have to come up front. So just a thought, down the road, if you come in early, you might consider, you know, being one of the brave ones, sitting up front. Um, I, try not to, I try not to spit too much when I talk, but, uh, you know, if you're afraid of, just pretend you're in a basketball game or a football game. And then people will be like right down here. So, right? kind of the way it works, or a concert or something like that. So just a thought. We'll put that out there and, and see what you guys think. So, All right, well, we are finishing up our Worship the King series. So uh, you can take your Bibles if you want and go to Matthew chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Just a, a reminder and an introduction into the whole series. An hour is coming out of John four twenty three. This is where we read, an hour is coming and is now here. Okay, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants, desires, and seeks such people to worship Him. Okay, God wants worship. He seeks it. He desires it. And that means putting Him first. That means recognizing Him as God and you and I as who we are, people who need God and need guidance, need direction, need a Savior, ultimately, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that's what worship is. Yes, the, the, the Father wants such worship, and, and it's our desire to please the Father, so we want to do that. Here's another verse, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true worship. Okay? So not only is it something we do in word, but it's something we do in action, the way we live. Obedience. Okay? So we've got word, we've got the way we even conduct ourselves on a regular basis, our action, our obedience, all those types of things. These are all types of worship. Oftentimes when we say worship, our mind immediately goes to singing and, and music. And that is a portion of worship, that is part of worship. God asks us to do that. But it's much more than that. It's a life, and our entire life can be worship to God. So we've talked so far on worshiping the King. We've talked about how we need to worship Him from a humble heart. Okay, Pastor Luke led us through uh, Mary's song on that. And then we talked about how we need to do it with proper preparation, that worship should not be something you show up corporately. Of course, there's individual worship, one-on-one, and then there's corporate worship we do together. But when you think of cor- corporate worship, hopefully it's not something you just show up on Sunday morning and go, okay, now I'm ready to worship. But maybe you put a little more time, thought, and energy into it. Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning as you're getting ready, those types of things. What are you doing to prepare for worship? And then we, we worship with fear and confidence. That's what we talked about last week. We have a mighty God who is all-powerful, And we should be fearful. We should be shaking in our boots because of how powerful and mighty God is. Yet, we have confidence to approach Him because of Jesus Christ. And so we exercise both fear and confidence before this almighty God because He's, on one hand, scary, 
But on the other hand, we see his grace and his mercy and his gentleness through Jesus Christ, and he is holding tight to us, and he's saying, here is access into a right relationship with God the Father. Here is access into the Holy of Holies where we can worship him. And so we, we approach him with both fear and confidence. And then today, what we're going to take a look at is we worship the king because it's the right thing to do. Okay? We worship the king because it's the right thing to do. So, question just to kind of get started. I'd like to at least kind of prime the pump, get us thinking a little bit. So you can fill in the blank here. Wise people know what? Wise people know what? How would you finish that sentence? Anybody want to take a a shot at it? Okay, wise people know Jesus, all right? You're in church, that's the right answer always, right? Whenever there's a question, Jesus, right? Okay. Anybody else want to throw another one out there? Okay, when to keep your mouth shut. Okay, there's some wise words, yes. That's true. When to be silent, yeah. Anybody else want to give some words of wisdom? Yes. Okay, so wise people know there's wisdom in themselves type of thing, or? Oh, oh there's no wisdom within yourself. Oh, okay, so they're looking outside. Okay, okay, I like that better than the other way. That's good. Okay, all right, good. All right. Good. Well, yeah, you guys are all, all right along the same lines there, but wise people know the one to bow down to. Okay, that's at least the context we're going to be looking at. Yes, you can fill in a lot of different things in the blank there, but that's where we're going today. Wise people know the one to bow down to. And that's what we're going to take a look at as we look at the wise men. As they come to Jesus, they worship him. They knew exactly who to bow down to, even though they had other opportunities along the way of other people to worship. So here's where we are, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, uh, choose wisely, okay, that's the title, and, uh, and then the text, let's pray as we enter into the text. Father, we want you to teach us today, Lord, we know that there's a lot of information out there we can gather, there's a lot of creativity out there, but Lord, we want this to be your word, and not, uh, not mine, and I've got ideas and thoughts I can interject, I know, so God, keep those from me, and keep your word at the center. Lord, as we work through this passage together. Teach us not only what it says, but also the meaning, the significance behind it into our lives. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Now, when it comes to the wise men, there's a lot of stories out there floating around. Of course, one of the first things people think of are, how many wise men came? Okay, okay, you guys already know your Bible answer. But typically, people will say what? Three, Three, right? So three wise men, we see it in the pictures and all those types of things, but we know from the text, it doesn't tell us how many wise men. And I've heard interpreters go anywhere from a couple up to a couple hundred. In fact, some would argue a couple hundred because it made such an impression on Jerusalem and it made such an impression on King Herod, it must have been more than just three wise guys coming along and looking for Jesus. So there's some thoughts for you. We don't really know. It doesn't tell us in the text. We do, tell, we do know it comes from the east or they come from the east. Why from the east? We're not sure, but I have a little bit of speculation here, some idea. And I think it goes back to a prophet in the Old Testament named Daniel. 
who was at one point captured by Nebuchadnezzar, taken over to Babylon. And when he was taken to Babylon, he was put among the wise men in the east, and he began to rise up in the ranks. And he got to a point where he was so well-respected and recognized that King Nebuchadnezzar put him over the wise men. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. It says, Then the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar, promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts, And he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. So here he was. He had the perfect opportunity to talk about his background and and Judaism and the prophecies you read about in the Old Testament, the prophecies he was writing at the time, and to say he knows for certain that there was going to be a Messiah in the future. And if he was over all these people, I think some of that would have been taught along the way. So I think it's quite possible that the reason they were looking for the king and the Messiah is because of Daniel's influence there in Babylon at the time over the wise men. Just some thoughts. Um, don't really know for sure, but I think, I think there's a good argument there. Well, let's go back to Matthew chapter 2, verses 2 through 8. It says, saying, uh, this is what they were saying as they were coming to Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So the wise men from the east knew specifically what they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the king of the Jews. It says, for we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. There's the idea of our series right there. They have come to worship him, come to to make him known as the king of the Jews and the Messiah. Oops. Verse 3 goes on, when King Herod heard this, he was then deeply disturbed. King Herod is a powerful king here in, in Israel at the time, in, in Palestine. And when he'd heard this, he, he started to get a little worried because, let's face it, if you're a powerful king and now another king comes in who is over the Jews or supposed to be king of the Jews, he's starting to think his position is threatened. And if it's a baby, well, maybe then his son's position is threatened. So he's disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So there's the idea that maybe it was more than just a few wise men because it was such a massive amount of people that people would have paid attention. Like, oh, wow, this has raised some concern in Jerusalem. So verse 4, he assembled all the chief priests and scribes and the people. So you got the religious leaders of the Jewish faith coming together and asked them where the Christ would be born. And this is their reply. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time they saw the star appear. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar, or excuse me, when um, when King Herod said this, he he, you know, the the wise men didn't have a reason to doubt him. Hey, I want to go worship Jesus. Please come back and tell me. But what I th- what you see here is you got the wise men who want to worship him. You got King Herod who want to worship him. You continue the story on. You find out that really King Herod didn't want to worship Christ. He wanted to kill Christ because he was such a threat. Now we're not going to get to that point. But if you want to continue to read the story in Matthew. Chapter 2, you can read about that and see what he does. He actually goes back and kills all the children who are two years old, all the male, male children, the boys who are two years old and younger. Kills them because he was threatened by them. 
But here he says, of course, he wants to worship him. Now, that's the, the negative side to King Herod. And he certainly was. He was a wicked king. But you're also, if you go back through history, you're going to read some positive things about King Herod. So I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson on this guy. He was, uh, he was born around 74 B.C. and he died around 4 B.C. Now you may be starting to put the pieces together. Some of you might think that Jesus was born around like 0 A.D. Actually, he was likely to be born around 4 to 6 B.C. And we know that because Herod died in 4 B.C. and Herod's part of the story. Okay, so Mike, most likely... Right in that time frame is when Jesus was born. But Herod was known by, uh, by historians to be really a, a powerful king who brought some peace to Palestine. And the way he brought peace to Palestine was through building things and, and, and actually pleasing the Jews while also pleasing the Roman government. Now, if you know anything about Palestine's history, Palestine doesn't have a lot of peace in its history. In fact, today it still doesn't have peace. So anybody who could come along and bring some type of peace, you know, in Palestine is, is well recognized. Well, what King Herod became well known for was, was simply building things. And this was probably the greatest thing he built, which was the Jerusalem temple. Um, now, he rebuilt this. Solomon built it. It was destroyed. Uh, it needed to be rebuilt again. So he comes along with his ability to design and build and builds an incredible temple for the Jewish people. And this is why the Jewish people loved King Herod. Now, it started about 19 BC, or, yeah, 19 BC. It wasn't really finished until after Herod, around 63 AD, which is really sad because seven years later it was destroyed completely. But today you can go there and you can see the remnants of it. You can see these massive stones that Herod cut and carved and put into place. And you can go around, you can see the steps and the, the steps that Jesus walked on. You can walk up some of those, and then the walls are kind of all torn down. But, but you can see some of the areas and some of the temple that he built. It was, it's amazing, fascinating, what he was able to do at that time. He was also well known for building fortresses, probably because he was afraid that someone was going to come after him. But when he goes and hides in these fortresses, he wanted to be rather luxurious. So this is one called Masada, one that he's well known for. And it's just kind of a pillar of, of rock out in the desert. And you'll see the Dead Sea kind of behind it there in that picture. But it's this pillar of rock, and it's really hard to attack because how are you going to scale the rocks while you're trying to attack the city? So he looks at it, King Herod looks at it and goes, wow, this would be a great place to build a fortress. And so this is an, an artist's rendition of it. But you've got on the three different levels, you've got basically a palace on each one. One of them is a pool house, and then the others are a couple of palaces. I mean, this is luxurious. And then on top, you've got areas where they can farm. And so they would collect rainwater, they would farm the area, and it would be self-contained. This is a fortress that he built. This is what it looks like today. You can go there, you can visit it, and you can see it. And you'll also see a, a ramp on the side, because the Jews went there to hide when they were being attacked. And, uh, and they were living up there, and the Roman government, Rome's, uh, Rome wanted to come and get them and couldn't figure out a way to, to get them, so they started to build an earth ramp and finally got into to Masada to overtake it. So that's how they actually had to overtake the fortress at the time. There's a whole lot of story there. Uh, if we had time, we can go into it. This is another fortress, Herodium, that he built. This is possibly the place Herod was buried, built 200-foot pillars, and then he had people come and fill it with dirt all the way around. Just an incredible builder. Out on the, the coast, this is another thing he built in his time. And this was a, a harbor. You don't find many man-made harbors. He built a man-made harbor in the Mediterranean 
In fact, here's a, well, I'll give you this picture here. This is where Paul would have been put on trial before he went to Rome. Kind of interesting. You can walk around and see a little bit of that. But this would have been an, this is an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like in Herod's day. And you'll see in the back uh, a harbor that would have been built. And one of the things that Herod did that was new, and, and not a lot of people had done this, is he was one that was able to develop some sort of, of chemical and, and, and be able to create a, a cement, a concrete that would cure underwater. So, I mean, Herod, again, was, was well known, another picture of what it might have looked like, for building things. So all of this... The point I want to make is, is as the wise men were coming through town, coming through Jerusalem from the east, they could have looked to Herod and said, hey, we want to catch up with Herod and see a little bit about what this guy's all about. Look at all that he's done. He's an amazing builder. He's brought peace to Palestine, and, and, and they had the opportunity. Herod even summons them and says, hey, come talk to me. But instead of getting distracted and just starting to talk to Herod and all the wonderful things Herod's done and give him praise, they keep their focus on Christ. And I think that's the challenge as I look through the story and you begin to see of the people who are involved, the wise men could have stopped, just hung out with Herod, worshipped him, thanked him, praised him, but instead they continue on and look for this baby. So verse 9, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. Now when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy, excited again. The star kind of came and went, they went to Jerusalem, tried to find out some more information. Oh, it's in Bethlehem, great, we're going to go there. They see the star again, they're overwhelmed, yes, there it is again. They're excited, they wanted to go see this, so entering the house. Okay, now there's the first clue. Sometimes we put in the nativity scene, we put the shepherds in the stable with the wise men. The wise men came later and came to a house, okay? And then they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's a lot of things that I think we could draw from in there. A couple of things. When they worshipped him, they fell to their knees and they presented him with gifts. It doesn't say anything about what they said to him. It just says they fell to their knees. Now, when wise men or people of power, some say kings, it's difficult to know what exactly wise men is referring to. Some say magi. You know, there's a lot of different translations and, and words out there. But these are people of power, Okay. We do know that. And so when they come, they see this baby. Remember, it's a baby. Maybe at one years old at this point. Okay, we don't know exactly how old Jesus is. We know it wasn't in the stable. Uh, well, it wasn't in the, the, the manger. He was in a house. We know that Herod uh, was going to kill babies who were two years old and younger. So it's in that time frame. But exactly the age, we're not sure once the wise men show up. But once they do, they come and they worship this, this child. And they present them with gifts. Side note here, okay? Kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's a good point. God the Father is Jesus' Father. This is a challenge to us men who are dads. Even God the Father looks at His Son and says, I'm going to take care of you. Men, it's our job, our role, our responsibility to take care of our kids. And God the Father leads by that example. 
He steps up and he says, here's some gold to Mary and Joseph. Here's some frankincense and here's some myrrh. Now, frankincense and myrrh could have been used practically gold, certainly for trading. Frankincense and myrrh also used for trading. Men, it's our role, it's our responsibility to step up and provide, right? Even God the Father provided for his own son. So, found some thoughts there. Take that to heart, if you will. But they come and they fall to their knees, they worship and they presented gifts. Verse 12, being warned then in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. The story goes on, Herod finds out that they had gone a different direction, and that's when Herod gets upset, and he goes out and he kills all the the babies who were two years old and younger. Before that had happened, Mary and Joseph actually fled to Egypt, so Jesus wasn't killed. A couple thoughts as we reflect back on this. One, you're going to see when... I'm going to take that off there because you guys are going to want to look at that too much. But um, when, when the, the wise men come to worship, they physically bow down to Jesus. One of the things we don't really talk too much about in church is the, the physical acts of worship. So I'm just going to throw some up here. You can take a picture of it if you want. Uh, it's probably going to be hard to write them all down, but if you'd like, you can, so you can go back and look at some of these. Uh, these are some of the ways we see worship taking place in Scripture. Okay? Bowing the head is a, is a physical way to worship. Lifting up hands. It's talked about there in Psalm 64. Stretching out hands, which could be forward or to the side, something like that. By the way, some people ask, why do people do things with their hands? And one of the, one of the responses is, well, we see it today in movies, right? If somebody comes and points a gun, they go, why? Why do they do this? Surrender, right? Okay. Vulnerable. Uh, that's the idea, I think, sometimes with, with raising your hands is you're, you're vulnerable. Saying, God, I need you. Okay, so that, that's probably the best way to understand why people might raise their hands. Uh, kneeling is one that's talked about, Ephesians chapter 3, and then here in this text. Clapping, falling face down. You see that a lot, especially if people have some sort of theophany, which is a revelation of, of God in some sense, or angels and that sort of thing. They fall face down. Even dancing is mentioned in Scripture as a way to worship. 2 Samuel 6. So those are some different ways that you see it. Uh, You also see various forms of standing, sitting, making music, singing, those types of things are all talked about in Scripture as a way to physically worship, worship God. Well, here in this text, we see that they bowed down. The wise men chose to worship a baby over the most powerful man in the area at the time. So this is, this is the main point I hope we can kind of take home with us as we look at the text. As they go through, they had the opportunity to spend more time with Herod. They had the opportunity to, to even worship, in some sense, Herod. But instead, they continue to move on and they worship. They worship Jesus Christ, an infant, a baby. Now let's take this practically one step further to our time period. And take a look at this. This is from Forbes, 2018, the most powerful people on the world today, on the earth. Uh, You got uh, Xi Jinping. Is that that the right way? None of you know either. Okay, we got got one. All right, good. Um, uh, Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, 
Angela Merkel. So, so the first four you've got are political leaders. And then, uh, and then Jeff Bezos, which is the CEO of Amazon, and Pope Francis. Now, I think that's kind of an interesting combination and one way for the other. Because before the person of faith, the one who would represent faith, you have the person of material possessions, which is kind of interesting and maybe is telling uh, of, of our world today. Bill Gates, uh, Mohammed bin Salman al-Saud, something like that, uh, however you say that name, uh, representing Saudi Arabia and oil industry and so forth. But you've got people of, of power there. And people of power tend to kind of work together in circles and, and roam around in circles. And if, if one of these, um, especially one of the political leaders, goes to one of these other countries, they're going to try to hook up with the political leader and, and talk about what they're doing in their country and, and those types of things. And they tend to work in the same circles. But here in this text, what you see is, is a leader or leaders from another country with power coming to another area where there's a great leader there. And instead of saying, hey, let's go and hang out and worship and work with him and, and to talk to him, and they say, no, we're going to go and, and spend time with this little baby. And I think it all comes down to the, the fact that when they set out to worship Christ, the king, they didn't let anything get in their way. Nothing would distract them from their intentions of worshiping the king. So as I think back on a lesson from these guys, I, I ask myself, I don't, I don't, I don't have um, a circle of friends like those that I just put up there, Okay. Um, I can't walk into any of their offices and say, hey, you want to hang out? And they'll be like, no. Um, but I certainly have a desire to worship Christ. And there are plenty of things in this world that will keep me from doing that. And maybe you're in the same boat. And so that's why I've, I've titled this, Things That Misdirect My Worship, because like like the wise men, I have this intention to, to know where Christ is and to worship Him. But as I go out and try to do that, there are so many things in life that get in the way and misdirect my worship onto other things. So I'm going to give you a list. I just started to think through my, my average day and the things that pop up in my average day uh, as to what would misdirect my worship. So the first thing. Okay, the alarm clock goes off. The first thing is a warm bed. Like, I can have the greatest intention the night before to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend some time in prayer and reading Scripture and being with you. And then the alarm clock goes off and it's a little cold out there and I'm really comfortable in my bed. I'm like, oh, this is, nice. this is like my favorite time of the day right here. You know? Your body's just relaxed. And, and so you have to push yourself to get out. Either that or you wait until the very last minute. And then you get out. And then it's too late. Because then you start to think, i got to go get my coffee, right? So you go and you get your coffee. And then after you've waited, and then you've gone and gotten your coffee, you realize it's time to get ready for work. So then that comes into play. 
And then if it's like my house, you know, families is waking up and, and there's all kinds of different things to do. And, and so then you've got to check in on all of that and make sure everything's working smoothly. And, and then these are some other things that will just come up, maybe football. Uh, like today on Sunday morning, you wake up, your football team's playing. You're like, ah, what do I do? I go to church, watch football. Saturday night, the game's at 8 o'clock. You know, it's going to go to like midnight. Um, entertainment, any of those types of things that can get in the way. Amazon, Craigslist, Facebook. You know how you like open your computer and you're browsing through and you got your email and you go on, and then something from Facebook pops on, you're on there, and then like two or three minutes goes by and you're like, what am I doing? And it's like scrolling through, find out, <laughs> that's funny, yeah, look, at that, look at that picture. You, know, you don't read anything, you're just like flying through, you know, looking at pictures. takes their time. And then there's those feelings, the feeling of being overwhelmed. And then when you feel overwhelmed, not everybody's like this, but there's several that are because I talked to some of you and you're like, yeah, I feel the same way. You, you feel overwhelmed and then instead of going out and doing something, you just sit there feeling overwhelmed. Or you're discouraged. There's, I mean, there's a lot of things you could put on here, right? The night before... Oh, I want to get up tomorrow, I want to serve, I want to worship, I want to spend time with God. And then these things happen. And it's not that any of these are bad. They just take our time away. What we really need to be doing, which is worshiping the King. Wise people know the one to bow down to. And if we want to live with wisdom, we want to be wise, we've got to keep Christ where He belongs which is our number one priority. And that takes discipline. It takes carving out some time and saying, this is, this is exactly where I need to be. I need to be worshiping Christ. I need to be in His Word. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in Christ. So the challenge for you this morning, as you think about responding, as I think about responding, simply this. Can you identify a few things of your own that misdirect your worship? Maybe it's just right off that list for you. Maybe there's something else completely different. Can you identify some things that misdirect your worship? Now, I just want to ask the question, can I pray for you? And the only way that's going to happen is if you somehow communicate that to me. So we have response cards. You can communicate on that if you'd like to on the back and or you can text me if you'd like, if you don't have a way to write down right now. Um, but can I pray for you? And, and I want to ask you this, honestly, sincerely. Will you pray for me? Because I certainly want to make sure that, uh, that I'm keeping my, my focus, that I'm making sure Christ is at the center of my life. So that's the challenge I get from, from word, uh, really reading through this text, looking at the wise men, how they worshipped, how they kept Christ at the center of their focus and followed Him and worshipped Him. Will we do the same? So think about that. I'll give you a couple minutes here. Reflect. Think about pray. Maybe just between you and God. What are some things you need to clear up, make right, write down? Then, uh, then we'll follow up with a song.